Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to come and to dig into your word and see what you have for us today. Open our eyes. Send your Holy Spirit upon us, Lord, that we would have understanding to know what it says and understanding of how to live it out. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, we're going to deal with a little bit more than what we're going to read, but we're going to deal specifically with this section from verse 16 through 24. Acts 16, starting in verse 16. And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a certain slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed and turned around and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. But when her masters saw that their hope for profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which are not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. And the crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And this is the inspired word of God for us today. So please be seated. Now really this section, which begins back in verse 11, I'm going to read a little bit of that, and continues on through the story of the jailer uh, who has... um, Uh, has the authority and the care of Paul and Silas as they have been thrown into the stocks. This this reminds me, there's there's a book written by Jonathan Edwards, and it's a narrative of surprising conversions. Uh, A narrative of surprising conversions. And if if you remember, Jonathan Edwards was the leader, basically, of the, the Great Awakening in the 1740s that happened in this country. And it was through the plain preaching of the Word and repentance that the Holy Spirit moved and, and as I said before, Edwards would be uh, not deadpan or monotone, but not much better than that. And he would go on in his sermon for almost 90 minutes, and people would throw themselves out in the aisle seeking repentance and that the Lord would forgive them because the Spirit just came upon them in such a fascinating and powerful way. Well, he wrote a book about surprising conversions, people that you did not think it was even possible for the Lord to save them, that they were too far gone, uh, that they were too sinful, too corrupt, and the Lord came and changed their lives and drew them unto himself. Well, this is, one of the, this is, like a, sec, this is a section on surprising conversions. Let me read from verse 11 uh, and following, and you'll see the first. Therefore, putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Nepalus, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. That was, uh, the Romans had conquered that and made it kind of a special town where soldiers could retire to, and uh, that's why it was a colony. And we were staying in this city for some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. 
And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. There weren't enough men to make a synagogue there, Jewish men, so the women were getting together. And a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics. And you remember, purple was uh, tough to get and and a, a difficult color, so they were very expensive. Thyatira, seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So that was the first conversion in this section of surprising conversions. The second conversion is the one that we're going to deal with today. And it is this slave girl who is possessed. And she's making a lot of money for her earthly masters, telling the future as a fortune teller. And then the last conversion, which we'll look at next week, is the jailer and his household as the Spirit comes in such a powerful way, and I'll save that for next week. But these are three sections, two women, really a woman, a teenage girl, and a guy who had seen everything. I mean, the prisons in that time were pretty rough, okay? And it was a pretty violent place. So he had seen everything, heard everything, except the gospel message, which came to him on that day, and his life was forever changed. So we're only going to deal with this teenage girl this morning in the section that we read to you. Uh, earlier. Now, let me make it clear, just, just as, as an aside, that I believe in possession. I don't believe this is an allegory or any kind of story like that. Uh, Satan, through his minions in some fashion, had come into her life and taken over her life and was using her to uh, further his purposes. And we'll see how that unfolds uh, in a little bit. I believe in, that it is possible for non-believers to be possessed by demons or the things of Satan, Believers already have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Okay? Satan comes into empty vessels. Um, so demon possession is seen throughout the world in a variety of ways. Uh, you know, we see it in the movies and things like that. Well, I, I don't know. I just uh, listed a couple of ways that, that uh, theologians have seen it throughout the years. Uh, through incredible strength or incredible cunning, through variety of, of languages, through self-mutilation. Um, demon possession is often mistaken for mental illness. And I believe in mental illness, uh, I believe in demon possession, and in parts of the world they're often mistaken for each other. And all this to say is that demon possession uh, was real, is real, will continue to be real until the return of Christ. Now, Paul and Silas, uh, back to our passage, Paul and Silas and, and Luke and his crowd Uh, They're all off to this place of prayer. Verse 16, it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl with a spirit of divination met them. Now, the Greek term here is she has a python spirit, a python spirit. Now, uh, you think, oh, a python spirit, where do they get that? Well, there's a lot of mythology and and history there. I'll, I'll give you the short version of it. The python spirit referred to a legendary snake that guarded the Delphic Oracle in central Greece. And Apollo, the mythological god Apollo, apparently killed this snake. Um, and and this, the snake's spirit dwelt in the priestesses that served in the temple. Uh, so a python spirit meant that it was a, it was a, a if, a, if a, like this slave girl had a python spirit, it was believed that this 
um, spirit of this snake that was in the temple indwelt her, and she was able to tell the future because of that. Okay. Now, uh, it goes on to say that, that Apollo... Uh, came in and killed this snake, and his other name is Pythias, so it, it ties in all these things together. But the short version is she was possessed. Okay? She was possessed, and Satan was using her in this fashion for his things. Now, she follows along this uh, Paul and Silas in, in, in this group, and she keeps saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming the way of salvation. Now, we're going to look more about this in just a moment. Um, and she became such an annoyance to Paul. Now, isn't what she's saying true? Yeah, it's true. And, but she became such an annoyance to Paul and to Silas that Paul just turns around. You know, in, in our world, you might turn around and slap her or something. But Paul turns around and says, demon, come out. And he's out. Okay, and we'll look at that in just a moment. Um, and why this is an important thing for us to understand today about what is going on here. Now, let me make sure we understand that the people in, in this century, and in particularly where they were in this area of Macedonia, believed that the gods were alive at that time and operated in the world. They believed in Apollo and Jupiter and Venus and Mars and all those guys that they would show up in different ways and at different times in the world. So they would go up to these priestess and, uh, priestesses and consult, or they would go to this prophetess girl who could tell the future and find out how they should live and what they should do. And they thought that the gods, or in this particular case, Apollo, was giving them the information. Now we know that either she was making it up or these things were coming from Satan. Now Satan seeks to thwart the gospel. That should be no surprise to us. And he does it in a variety of ways. He hates the spread of the kingdom. He hates when we proclaim the gospel. He hates when we live godly lives. Now, what is the best way for him to thwart that activity in this world? Well, we might be surprised to know that perhaps Satan's first, first line of attack is subtlety. It is not right in our face. It is not direct. It is very subtle. If you remember, if you've ever read uh, C.S. Lewis and the Screwtape Letters, uh, I love this portion. It says, uh, you know, we have Uncle Screwtape, you have Wormwood and Screwtape, and they're going back and forth, and they said, uh, how do I corrupt the patient when he's in church? Uh, you know, the guy is the new believer, and he's in, in, in church. Well, get him to focus upon the woman next to him who sings out of tune. Or upon the hat in front of him that is ugly. Or upon the shade of the carpet. Get his attention off the things of the word. Get his attention off singing those words to the enemy. The enemy in their case would be God. Focus his attention on something else. It is very subtle. So Satan sometimes will use outright aggression and persecution. But I think his first line of attack is very subtle. And in this case we'll see it is infiltration. Infiltration. Okay, back to the words of the girl. Look at verse 16. And it happened that as they were going to the place of prayer, a certain slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, These men are bond servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Now what could be truer than that? Okay, this is Paul and the guys who are with Paul. And basically, in our terminology today, Paul is the man now. 
Okay, he is the Christian. He is the leader of the church in the sense of the mission projects as he goes out and declares the things of God. So yes, he is the bondservant of the Most High. He is proclaiming the way of salvation. Now why would Paul get irritated with that? If this girl had been shouting some half-truth, that might be a little bit different. But she is shouting a whole truth. The whole truth. Well... Let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul is no dummy. And he is aware of the way that Satan works. He is aware of the subtleties of Satan, of how he goes about and does certain things at certain times. So he understands what is happening here. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, verse 10. And we'll read 10 and 11. He says, but, and he's giving a, 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 a kind of a narrative here, a list of things. He says, but whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sake in the presence of Christ, in order that no advantage be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes." Paul is on, t- on top of the way that Satan works in this world. He says, we're not ignorant of the way Satan works. He says, we've got some insight into his subtleties and how he wants to infiltrate into the world and, and corrupt the church. Flip over a couple more uh, pages over to chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. And, and odds are you know this passage, but we need to look at it anyway. Uh, just to remind ourselves of how Satan works in this world. Satan's number one ability is to lie. And through those lies, he corrupts what is true. Okay? But his lies contain what? Just enough truth to make the really uninformed go, oh, that sounds right. Didn't Scripture say God helps those who help themselves? What, what chapter? Oh, that's in, that's in Acts 30, isn't it? Or something like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Now, if an angel showed up in your presence, you would think what? You know, the Lord has a message for me, obviously. But what if it's not an angel from the Lord? What if it is Satan disguised in that form? How will you be able to tell if it is a message from God or if it is a message from Satan meant to corrupt you, meant to take you away from the things of the truth? Well, Satan has been doing things in the name of Jesus for a long, long time. For a long, long time. Remember the guys that come and say, "Uh, Lord, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we heal and cast out demons in your name? And Jesus says what? Away from me, I never knew you. Okay, Away from me, I never knew you. There are all kinds of demonic things going on in the name of Jesus. Now, if you say, well, what are they, Rand? Well, I, I, I can't give you a, a whole list. But what better way to disguise evil work than to do it in the name of Jesus? What about the demons? Do the demons believe in Jesus? And what do they do? They tremble. They tremble. They And that's they know he exists. They know he is the Son of God. Do they believe in him as their Lord and Savior if that were possible for demons to do? No, they don't. Okay? No, they don't. And, and the, the context of that is he's, 
he's saying, and, and we stupid people, we're not even afraid of God. But the demons tremble at the things of Christ. Demons and the things of Satan will say anything they need to say to further the agenda of Satan. And the agenda is to corrupt the church, to pull us away from our Heavenly Father. So we all know what's going to happen here is the, um, what happens. And, and what is the big, go back to Acts chapter 16, what is the big danger here with this girl following Paul and Silas and Luke, etc., and Timothy, and, and saying the truth? What is the danger? Well, these guys are going to leave town in a little bit. They're going to start the church and plant it and leave town. And what would be the mindset of people who saw this girl who is following around with Paul and Silas, stating the truth, and when those guys leave, if they didn't take action, when those guys leave, who are they going to turn to for their authority on things relative to Jesus Christ? They might turn to this girl because she was saying the truth, and Paul and Silas, they didn't do anything about her. So what happens is Paul turns around and casts out this demon. He casts this demon out in a heartbeat, and he is gone. Now, as far as I know, I've never come face to face with anyone who is possessed. Uh, as I've said before, I have a friend who deals uh, with this, uh, with a Roman Catholic diocese up in Pennsylvania. He is on their call list, and, and he goes and might spend three or four days uh, with somebody. And, 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 and the priest and several other people praying and, and interceding. Um, why don't we just walk up and say, in the name of Jesus, be gone. Hmm. Well, maybe somebody has that gift today. I don't know. Paul had that gift. Okay. Remember the 70 that went out earlier? And they said what? Even the demons are subject to us. Okay. They had that gift to cast them out. It's in a heartbeat. Um, and the, but other times they had what? They had problems because some only come out with fasting and prayer. Okay, my buddy goes up and fasts and prays while the other people do the work. Okay, so uh, that, that's one of the things going on. Well, remember Satan's subtlety uh, back a little bit earlier as he attempts to corrupt the church with Ananias and Sapphira. Okay, it wasn't a full-on frontal confrontation in the church. It was very subtle. He came, and what was Ananias and, and Sapphira's problem? They were lying. It was subtlety. If the Lord had let that go on, then word of their indiscretion and their lying and that they're, oh, well, they're still kept in the church and they've got positions of leadership, but yet they lied to the Holy Spirit. Satan was trying that track, but the Lord shot him down there. So what does she say? These men are bondservants of the Most High God. How would people in that town understand what she was saying? Well, the Jewish, to the Jewish ears, it would ring true. They considered the Gentiles, this is how they named the God of the, of, of the Jews. Uh, El Elyon, that was considered the Gentile way of referring to God. If you were one of the pagans who worshipped a lot of gods, if you were polytheistic, then there were many high gods. And all those who were hearing that would go, yeah, that's right, that's right. There are many gods, and I just get to pick the most high god that I like. If you were a strictly pagan here, then you could make up your deity in any fashion, and you would agree with what she had to say. Now, for the pagans, this 
way of salvation was a release from whatever things pressed upon them. Uh, And so Paul and Silas, as I said, correct this girl by casting out this demon that is within her. Look at verse 18. And she continued doing this for many days, but Paul finally became annoyed. Now, I don't know why he didn't do it right away. It doesn't say that. It just says, for many days. And he turned and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out. And it came out at that very moment. At that very moment. Paul had that gift to cast out the demons. So, the gospel is going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, and now it's moving out to the ends of the earth. And the power of the gospel is going forth to overcome the enemies of the things of the gospel, particularly of Satan. Just while we're here, as, as an aside, look back at Romans chapter, or Matthew chapter 8. At another instance, when demons were cast out. This is one of my favorite instances, one of my favorite passages here. Because of the response of people to this. You think that if you would see somebody who was possessed by a demon and doing these, these incredible things, like she was telling the, the future. Okay, this wasn't some Gene Dixon, for those of you who remember Gene Dixon, uh, and, and the Inquirer, and she would make her predictions every year, and some would come right, and some would, most would be wrong. She was telling the future, and she, people were coming to her, and they were seeing this be true by the work of Satan. Well, so that's one way Satan works. Another way here in Matthew chapter 8, um, verse 28. And when, Matthew 8, verse 28, and when he had come to the other side of the country of the Gerenists, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs, and they were so exceedingly violent, nobody could pass by the road. And behold, they cried out, I mean, understand, they, they had broken chains, they were violent, nobody wanted to be around him, they had these supernatural powers. And behold, they cried out, what do, you have, what do we have to do with you, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? They knew who Jesus was. It's part of the makeup of demons. They knew who Jesus was and they were afraid of him. Now there was at a distance from them a herd of many swine feeding. And the demons began to entreat him. This is asked Jesus, saying, If you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Be gone. And they came out and went into the swine. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and perished in the waters. I've been to that place. It's this big high uh, bluff. And it's a very sharp drop off. And all the swine went running off and into the sea. And the herdsmen ran away and went into the city and reported everything, including the incident of the demoniacs. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they entreated him. They begged him to depart from their region. You would think that after Jesus had done this great work in this guy's life, that everybody knew he had these supernatural abilities, were afraid of him, and they got rid of the demons. Jesus gets rid of the demons that had infected them. You'd think they'd be rejoicing. But what do they say? Oh, you killed all these pigs. You know, why don't you leave us? We're afraid of you. Get away from us. This was the attitude. They didn't rejoice in the work of our Savior. They were afraid. They were sad at the loss of their pigs in particular. Okay, back to Acts 16. Verse 18 and 19. 
This is one of those things that we don't get in the English, but in the Greek, it's really funny. I know, and you're saying, well, it's all Greek to me. Uh, He says, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. In verse 19, when her master saw that their hope for profit was gone, they seized him. Luke is having a play on words here. The demon came out and their prophet came out. Okay, that's what he's saying. Okay, when the demon was cast out, these guys who were her master saw their prophet going right down the drain. Okay, so it's a little play on words here between these two things. Demon gone, prophet gone. Okay, what a sad day for them. But what did they miss? What, what did these masters miss? They missed the fact that this girl who was bound by Satan was now free. Now, it, it doesn't go on to say if she became a believer. It doesn't mention anything else about her. We can make, we, we can assume, but we can't know for sure, and we don't have to know because it's not important, it's not listed here for us. Hopefully the church came in and took hold of this girl and brought her in and cared for her and taught her the things of Christ. Remember, because if the vessel remained empty, then they're going to bring back all their friends. So we trust that the Holy Spirit came into her life and filled her with the things of Christ. Now understand that whenever the gospel threatens vested interests, especially economic interests, it is bound to meet opposition. And the slave handler's opposition is to uh, drag them into the middle of the square. And there were these uh, people who were like the police Uh, Verse 22, they were beaten with rods. They were thrown into prison. Prison was not a place for punishment. It was basically a place to hold them before that, and this is where they are. And you can imagine the fear that rests upon all those in power in the the prison because if they're able to cast out the demons, what's going to keep them in prison? What's going to keep them locked away if they have this power to rid this girl of the things of Satan? Okay. What's this mean for us today? Okay, what does this mean for us today? I have four things that I came up with that I thought, well, we'll look at it and see if if these things help us understand what this passage says to us today. Number one, Satan will attempt in all means to infiltrate the body of Christ. Satan will attempt in any way possible to infiltrate the body of Christ. He will look like a believer, he will sound like a believer, he will smell like a believer, many will believe that he is a believer. Now how do we protect from such infiltration? We know the word. That's the first line of defense. We know the word of God. By knowing the word of God, we're able to tell the difference between true doctrine and false doctrine. When somebody gets up and preaches what is false, even though it may sound like it's really true, where there's enough truth in there to make you think, if you know the truth and you know what the word says, you will be able to discern. That's very important. You will be able to discern what the word is. And frankly, we don't care how you feel about things. We don't care what cool experiences you've had. If it doesn't jive with the word, then it is called into question. Then it is called into question. Remember, the cults and sects and those who teach error always include enough truth to make you think that it is correct. So Satan will attempt to infiltrate the body of Christ. The way to defend against that is to know the word fill your mind and heart with the things of Christ so that they will dwell within you richly and the spirit will work through you. Secondly, 
If Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light, how will we be able to tell if it's him? Okay, how will we be able to tell if it's him? Well, there are probably a lot of ways. I just picked one. Fruit. Fruit. One of the sure evidences of a true conversion is the fruit that is produced from the Christian life. Remember that believers are filled with what? The fruit of the Spirit. That is singular. All those things that are listed there, all believers have them all to a certain degree. Now, some will bear bushels and bushels of fruit, and others will bear considerably less. But nonetheless, the Christian will bear fruit. Now, Satan's will also bear fruit. But it will be like the Pharisees' fruit. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees. Oh, you whitewashed tombs. Okay? It was a great illustration. I love to use that. Whitewashed tombs. They look good on the outside, but what's inside of them? Death and rotten things. And that's the fruit of Satan as well. It will look good on the outside, but at its core, it is rotten. It is rotten. Number three. What does Satan look like today? Okay? This isn't, I mean, not the Halloween costume with the tail and the pitchfork. What does he look like today in today's world? There are probably a lot of different descriptions and ideas we could come up with. I came up with three or four just to stir the pot a little bit in your minds. He might look like pettiness. Pettiness within our lives, within the church. We're worried about things that really don't matter that much. He might look like a guy in a $2,000 suit. He looks like somebody you might want to help, but doesn't want to help himself, just wants to draw from you all that you are, so your attention is focused upon that and not upon the things of Christ and the movement forward. He looks like somebody you could trust on the surface, like the whitewashed tomb. He looks and he sounds captivating, but he lacks love. Remember what 1 Corinthians says? 1 Corinthians 13, if I do all these things without love, I'm just a what? Clanging gong. Clanging gong. He might look like an argument rather than a discerning study or a discussion to find out the things of Scripture. He would rather argue about them than discern. Okay? Will he ever look like persecution? Well, he may. If infiltration doesn't work, he'll look like persecution. So be ready for that. And number four, what's the answer to these things? Conversion is the answer to possession. Conversion is the answer. Okay? One must know the cleansing work of Jesus Christ. They must be filled with the Holy Spirit to be cleansed of the bonds of sin and the things of Satan. And if a vessel remains empty, Satan's going to bring back his friends. So the real disappointment, as I hinted at earlier, of those who missed what really happened here. The owners of the slave girl missed God because they were all worked up about the profit that they had lost. The city magistrates, when Paul and his guys were dragged before him, Paul surely would have given a defense of his actions because, as he, as a defense of his actions from the things of the gospel. They shut him down and wouldn't listen to him. The crowd in the town missed it because they were worried about the changes and the disruption in town, and they would not listen to Paul and Silas. All these people missed this fabulous miracle and the things of the gospel because their eyes were closed. Satan's a liar. How to counteract that? Fill your mind and your heart with the truth. 
that the word of Christ would dwell in you richly. You must have your personal devotions. You must have more than this time here on Sunday to build you up spiritually. You've got to dig into the word. You've got to spend time with the Lord in prayer. If your only intake is here and the rest of the time you intake the things and the news and the views of the world, then Satan has already infiltrated you and he's got hold of you. You've got to fill your mind with what is right and what is true and what is just. The things of God's word. So let's pray. Lord, it is a great opportunity to see how you worked in this one life that we can learn about those whose eyes were closed to these things who were upset at this great miracle that went on who were upset at their loss of profit or were upset that the the town was thrown into chaos because of this miracle that was done but lord we know that satan only acts under the parameters that you set for him He has a certain amount of time to do these things until the return of Christ. So, Lord, in our lives, in the life of this church, we pray that our focus and our attention and our hearts would be filled with the things of your word, that the Holy Spirit would come and open our eyes, that we might understand these things, that we might be ready to defend what we know to be true, that we might be ready to to be able to identify the subtleties of Satan, to flee from those temptations and to stand firm on what is true and what is right upon the things of Christ and upon his word. So we ask this in his precious name. Amen. Our hymn is 205, Go Tell It on the Mountain. Let's stand as we sing 205.